Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Sarah Blakemore. And I'm Susanna Roddick. Susanna, great to have you back in the studio. Thank you for having me again. Yes, we love it. What are we talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about the Pray Project, how faith leaders are working to debunk misinformation about donation in their communities. And we're also going to be talking about the differences in using validation versus affirmation in your relationships. All right. Lots to come here on The Gifted Life. Let's do it. Here on The Gifted Life, we are so excited to introduce you to our new friend, Jessica Fisher. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yes, the communications coordinator at Leora. What does that stand for? Life Alliance Organ Recovery Agency. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's about, oh, I like that. Leora sounds fancy. Um, so we are on the um, hills of National Donor Sabbath. Uh, we celebrate in November and we heard about this project uh, that you were spearheading and we were like, how perfect. So it's called the Prey Project. Is that right? Yes. Uh, okay. And then uh, just tell us the gist of the Prey Project real quick. So the idea behind it is to get our faith-based community working with us and what we do i think that well not i think but it they really don't really know what we do they don't understand like how they play a role in it because some of them may support it and think well it's it's written in our text but they don't realize that sometimes their parishioners the people who listen to them have a different set they have a different um point of view about it so we thought that it would be great to have them work with us and with our approach team and with the families and the idea sort of evolved from there. The program has evolved from there, actually. Uh, amazing. So we want to know um, the project, how it unfolds. But I love, love, love you use data uh, to kind of start. Here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. So walk us through uh, what you guys were looking at and then what you put into play to kind of combat the numbers. Okay. So the first thing we did was look at our decline data, and we noticed that declines based on religious reasons was the top two or the top, or either the top three or the top two, because it, it varies week to week. And once we realized that, I was like, this is something that I could use in my faith-based outreach. So with that, that's when we started looking to our partners and asking them, hey, would you guys like to work with us in this initiative to talk to donor families about organ donation as it relates to their religion? So did this um, program include education for your faith-based leaders? How, how did you engage with those um, leaders to begin with? So we did a we did a mixture of things. First, it was people who I've worked with, whether it's attending their events or they asked me to speak with them. Then there are our hospitals that have hospital contacts. We, we, we reach into those resources and then just doing the regular cold calling. And once we did that, some people responded, they were interested. And then we did a quick 
to not tutorial, a quick training module where we just told them about Life Alliance, Leora, and then we told them how organ donation works and kind of how we envision a program, the Prey Project, working and how they would fit into that. Um, just quickly, because, um, you know, sometimes we use language that people in the community don't understand. So when we say decline, what we mean is when we approach a family for organ tissue or eye donation, when they decline, that means they're saying no to donation process. Um, so I just wanted yeah. to make that clear to families out there. So when we say yeah. consent, mm -hmm. that means you yes. would like to proceed with the organ tissue and eye donation and decline means um, that you decline that opportunity. A good point, a good point. And I love that um, you use those declines to kind of center in and make positive change. So I love that. So um, how did you feel overall? Like, was it well received when you were doing cold calls, when you were reaching out? Uh, did you feel like when we when we did the tutorial that they were invested, they were actively listening? Well, I, I would say that the, those who are interested were definitely interested, but I think it was intimidating at first. And I think because this is my job, I didn't realize how intimidating that might be to someone who may, you know, they may agree with organ donation, they may support it, but to actually get in front of a family or, you know, that actually, like that was something that they probably couldn't see themselves doing and were uncomfortable with. So even though there were, these are people who wanted me to come and speak to their parishioners, these are people who wanted me to speak or attend their events, them doing the same with the families was different. So it was a lot harder to get them into the program. So I found that people who already had experience with organ donation, whether it was a donor a donor dad, he was a rabbi, he was interested and he wanted help out however which way he can. Or a reverend who used to be a part of the LOPA approach team way back when. And then she was like, yes, of course I want to do this. So then I realized that it had to do with their experience, it had a lot to do with their comfort level, which actually helped me know what direction I would like this program to go into. Jessica, that's just fascinating. So basically, your volunteers that were the most engaged came from donation experiences. Right. And you also mentioned something really interesting, the ministers or pastoral care that would have approached a family about donation, correct? Yes, it would have been a part of their approach team. Yes. So would that be like pastoral care within a hospital that was part of that approach? Yeah. So Rick also... Say the prey project aside, what usually happens is sometimes families, if they say yes, they still would like to have someone from their faith group come speak to them or do a last prayer with them before they release the donor to go on to donate. But, you know, that's not always possible. So that was another reason why we wanted to do this project so we can have some contact in the community where these families will have a resource. And even if they didn't want to consent to donation, that's also fine. We, But if they would like to have somebody with them during their time of grief, we also wanted to have someone there with them. I think that's pretty um, impressive, the proactive yeah. um, part of that, because 
So I approach families in our community and we always ask, is there a pastoral care? Is there someone in your community and your faith community who you would like here to support you through this? And a lot of times they do. Families want to have their faith leaders be a part of their decision making and a part of their end of life decisions, because a lot of faiths have end of life ceremonies or rituals that they would like to incorporate. So being proactive and combining that and reaching out to them initially is really impressive. Jessica, obviously we like your your project here. We're <laughs> we have lots of questions. <laughs> yeah. Um so tell us um I know that we talked about the the prey project was born after you got this data. So when did it start? And then talk about um what you're seeing. Is it working? What's the goal? Okay. So I'll I'll try to answer it in three parts. So when did it start? It really kind of started when I first was hired because that was something that the organization saw that we could improve. And, you know, I just was out in the community trying to get contact and everything like that. But it didn't necessarily pick up until last year. And I think the reason why it picked up was because of the data. Like We actually could see the effects of not having these relationships or not strengthening the relationships we already had. So. Once we saw that, I was like, okay, it's time to create a training model. It's time to engage the people we already have here and then go from there. Because if you never start, then you're never going to get to where you want to go. So once I did that, we got a couple people who were interested in helping us, and they were instrumental in starting the program and building the foundation. Once we got them involved and they went through the training course, we were able to see, like, what we should be teaching, like kind of like where it was intimidating and we kind of uh, fell back off putting or introducing the individuals as somebody who would be helpful with the approach team and then started exploring ways on how they could just help us because I was able to sit in a DFA meeting, DFA meeting donor family advocate, and they they're the ones who work with the families in our organization and approach them. And they were saying that they don't usually have anyone, they don't have relationships with the pastoral care, which I thought was surprising. For some reason, I thought that they did in the hospitals that they frequented. So they are saying that they would like to be able to have somebody who they could talk to or could help them speak to the families. So as the conversation progressed, I realized that they kind of wanted advice. And then speaking to one um, in particular, her name was Gracia. She said, you know, in our other programs, the volunteers, they don't just start off doing big things for us. We They kind of get to know us and get to know the organization. And then as they become more comfortable, then they like ask, to do more, or we could call on them to help us with bigger projects. And that's that's true. So then I kind of realized, hey, we need to kind of flip this. Instead, why don't we have them advise us? And then as they um, advise us and get to know us and the organization, down the line, we could ask them if it comes to a particular family where we feel like their um, presence will help, then we can do that. But for right now, asking them to join off the bat, that wouldn't—I don't—that wouldn't be the best thing because, like I said before, that would be intimidating. They probably wouldn't know what to do or say. 
Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it progressed from the beginning to where I am right now. Um, so you basically had a process of training, then onboarding these volunteers to be advocates for you in the community. I am certain that there are a lot of myths about donation and religion that you come across, um, and you've had to educate your your uh, your leaders about these myths. Do you want to share some of those with us? Oh, yeah, there's so many. Um, you know, a lot of times the Catholics, they say that it's not something that they support. And then it's not like a specific myth. They just say outright. They It's just something that's not supported. But I found that a lot of the Catholic uh, leadership and clergy in our area has been pretty supportive. So we've been able to contact that as far as the Jewish religion, the Orthodox Jews, they tend to be very, um, and they don't really like doing donation after death. They're very willing to do living donation. So getting the education to them to kind of saying, hey, um, this is something that can work too. But there's a lot of, um, well, there's actual laws in place where they, like the Halakhic, I'm going to really butcher this word, but um, it's a it's a law and it goes with brain death and how long it should take for a Jewish person to be buried that they follow and they said because of this law we don't want to do organ donation, but there there's actually an organization called HODS, which is Halakhic organ donor society and they're actually advocating for organ donation they have a society of uh, rabbis that actually work to educate the community about organ donation that this is a good thing and you know it'll be it's great for if a jewish person or any person saves a life that's the best thing that they could do so there's a lot of different myths and it's like with every uh faith but the Jewish faith and the Catholic faith is really big in the area that we serve here in South Florida. So those are the ones that I run into the most. Yeah, because, you know, um, when we we also do decline reviews. So we look at the reasons families say no to donation and we try to problem solve. And um, one of the things we found is that explaining and understanding the religious and cultural end of life rituals is really important because faiths, most faiths, all major religions support donation, but there might be some end of life rituals that need to take place for that family to be comfortable. So bringing in those faith leaders to be a part of that um, has been really beneficial for us and it's been really beneficial for the families. So I think y'all are doing a really great job. Thank you. And Jessica, it sounds like a labor of love for you. You said, you know, when you first started (laughs) until now. So we have been trying. um, And I like that. Like, we're going to try this. Does it work? Um, But our goal is to keep moving forward. Was there like an aha, like, yes, we're moving in the right direction moment um, once you kind of got your momentum going? Was there a aha? I think the aha moment came in when Gracia told me, hey, you know, we need to take time with these individuals and we kind of have to acclimate, we have to let them get comfortable with us. That was kind of like the aha moment. Like, yeah, that would actually make sense. And I noticed that now when I'm reaching out to new people, new contacts, they're a lot more open to speaking with me or talking to me because when I reach out to them, I'm saying, hey, can you do an informal presentation for my team? Like we 
we're, we facilitate the organ donations in South Florida. We work with all different types of families. We would like to know how to best serve families of your religion. This is nothing that'll take too much of your time. And they're really responsive to it because I think they, I think especially now people just want to help. And especially when it's an effort to save lives, that, that goes even further. So I, I think that's really been helping. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here because right now we're kind of building our starter team. We don't have every, every, we don't have a, we have a person for but we do have people who are willing to help. And I think that's a great starting point. Once we have one person for each religion, I think I'll be so happy. It's going to be a great announcement. <laughs> and, you know, maybe even a party if we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> we are taking notes. We're going to like ride on your coattails, girl. We're going to learn from you. We love that. Um, so if folks were listening and like, oh, this this is great. If they want to learn more, uh, where would you send them or what would you have them do? I would tell, I would give them my contact information. Um, my email is jjf128 at miami.edu. Really simple. Um, and yeah, email me. You can email my director, Nicole Legier. I know that she's been in contact with Lopa. Or you can contact us on social media. We are Leora UM or Leora um, Life Alliance. By any of those variations, you'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And yeah, we're always willing to talk or willing to help. And we're very, very responsive. So, Jessica, during this time specifically with a global pandemic and with a lot of um, people not being able to reach their family members if they're out of state, how have the faith leaders provided support when the families aren't there? So right now they're able to speak over the phone. So if we have a family who wants to speak to a faith based leader, our DFAs will work or donor family advocates, they will find somebody. And then if the person is able to donate some time, those will speak to them over the phone because our hospitals are not allowing anyone to come in at the moment. But as far as our project goes, in order for us to meet them, to make it feel somewhat normal, we do it over Zoom. And we do a lot. We have our informal Zoom presentations. And I like to, I really like to point out the fact whenever I speak to them, this is going to be informal. So they don't feel a lot of pressure because they may not know enough about organ donation to feel comfortable to talk about it. But if I let them know it's informal, then they know that they could just share some scriptures. They could share um, what they should tell their uh, parishioners. And we could just, tell them our experiences. It could be a conversation. That way they could get to know us and, you know, as much as they can right now. Right. And I love that, you know, it takes the pressure off them. They're not, it's not their job to help the family make a decision about donation. That's what right. your family advocates are for. That's for your donor family advocates are for. Um, they could just be there as a supportive guide and someone that they can trust. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Miami, as with New Orleans, you have a lot of people from across the United States and the world that travel to be in Miami. Um, is this an extra layer of support that you can provide those um, from around the world? Definitely. I mean, we have a lot of donor family members that we support and recipients, actually, that we support and they keep in contact with us that have come 
on vacation and unfortunately passed away. And this measure, I think, will be an added level of comfort for them because, I mean, I can't imagine hearing that my loved one was on vacation. I was talking to them and now they're just gone. And now they, someone was asking like, hey, can, would you like them to be an organ donor? Like that's crazy to me. But I think giving them this comfort at this time and then letting them know that we're here, I think that'll definitely be helpful. And, you know, that's our job at the end of the day is to care for these families. And one of the, you know, a, a painful time, but that can also become like, you know, a life-saving moment, something that they'll never forget and that could live on. Oh, I like that. And you've been helpful to us and to our listeners. Thank you for being open, honest, walking us through the Pray Project today. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Yes, and we will continue to learn and visit with you and learn from you. Thank you, Miss Jessica Fisher. Thank you. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. All right, Sarah, what are we talking about today? All right, guys, so today we're going to talk about affirmation versus validation, but specifically in communicating like with a partner okay, or a friend, but anybody in your life who you're close with intimately. So first, let's just start with what they are. So affirmation means that you not only hear the person who and what they're sharing with you, but you agree that's the difference. Validation is just hearing someone. Mm. So when you feel validated, you feel heard, correct? Yeah, yeah. But when you feel affirmed, you feel not only heard, but that they agree with you and mm. they want the same things you want. Mm -hmm. So you're on the same page. Yes, exactly. So the main thing to know is that in relationships, you don't have to always be on the same page and you don't have to agree about everything because that's, I mean. Well, thank goodness. Thank you. <laughs> is that realistic with any relationship? No, yeah. no. But you do want to be heard. And when you're communicating with them, you want to let them know that either they're heard or they're heard and you agree mm -hmm. because that can create if you feel heard and you think that they agree when they don't that'll cause problems later on down the line right mm -hmm. sure so let's do a scenario so say you and your husband are talking and um you're telling him or her that you want to spend more time together mm -hmm. if he only validates you and doesn't affirm he mm. is saying that he doesn't necessarily agree maybe he thinks that time apart is good for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you want to make sure that you're using language correct. So if you are affirming him, you're saying, yes, I agree, and I would like that too. Mm -hmm. But when you're just validating, you're just saying, I hear you. I sure. understand your needs. Or in this busy yeah. life, we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I heard you saying something. <laughs> yeah, so it's really important to just incorporate Active this and listening. to understand yes. what these are so that when someone is sharing something with you, you express yourself further than just I hear you Absolutely. because validation is really important everybody wants to be heard we all need that mm -hmm. but especially in intimate relationships it mm -hmm. needs to go a step further mm -hmm. than just being heard to understanding the other person's viewpoint yeah and I think um to like so fast-paced world and technology and especially the world that we're living in with COVID and all of that stuff like um it's hard because there's so much going on so I like to concentrate on quiet 
listen, mm-hmm. take it in, process, right. <laughs> calm down. And hopefully well, agree with that person too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's deeper next, listening because yeah. you're listening to the yeah. meaning behind the words. And yep. it's really important in partnerships to really fully understand what they're saying and to also communicate well and feel heard. So when you do this, when you acknowledge each other's viewpoints and you can fully understand the other person's viewpoint, it de-escalates fu- future mm-hmm. problems, right? Mm-hmm. Because you understand that person and you can express whether you agree or disagree. I Great hear you. Tip. And I agree. Yeah. Yes. Or I disagree and here's why. And you communicate why you disagree and understand it's okay too. This is such a great tool to teach children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just going a little bit further in your communication. It's knowing how to express yourself and how to hear others. Mm-hmm. You did a great job. Thank you. I, I feel heard. things that you've said. <laughs> and I appreciate it. I feel affirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. Email us at info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment, we've got a really good question today. How can I find out my religion's stance on donation? I love when people go um, and search for information and want facts. I love that, number one. I'll take that one, guys. Um, So all major religions support donations, see it as an act of charity. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, especially here in Louisiana, our faith leaders are so open, like they want that discussion. Let's talk about it. Uh, Let's talk about our views uh, no matter what. So I love that as well. But if you want to go um, on a computer, read, do your research, and then have that conversation, uh, we have some resources for you, too. So lopa.org slash clergy, lopa.org slash clergy. Um, So that's a resource page for you to go down. It kind of breaks it down for you so you can read, uh, take notes, bring that to your faith leader. It's a very good page. Also, there's a national page. It's Health Resources uh, Service Administration. So it's HRSA, right? Um, So it's organdonor.gov is the site, organdonor.gov. And there they also have a breakdown uh, of religion and donation. So um, great resources for you. You can learn at your own pace, but I love, love, love. Uh, Education is the key that you're out searching for facts. So if you have a question for us, give us a call. 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Trevin Reddick from Life Alliance Organ Recovery Agency. We learn about Trevin from his family. On October 31, 2011, our 19-year-old son, Trevin, lost his battle for life. After being declared brain dead, my husband and I were called into a room with a representative from the Life Alliance Organ Recovery Agency to make a life-changing decision. At the time, Trevin was not a registered organ donor, and as I sat in a daze listening to what she was saying and staring at what seemed to be the end result of my son's life, I had one question. Is there anything anyone can do to give my son back to me? After receiving a shattering no, and for a brief second, I thought about what Trevin would want me to do. Trevin was a dear and sweet child, and he would have given anything to anyone if it was in his power to give. With him in mind, I decided to say yes to organ donation. However, although I agreed to donation, I had no understanding of the impact it would have, not only in the lives of others, but my life as well. It wasn't until I received a letter from the organization stating Trevin's organs were used to save lives of four people. I knew then that I had made the right decision. It's bittersweet, but I am honored to be a donor's mom. 
There's not a day that goes by when I don't miss him and know he would be so honored to be a part of such a great cause. I am truly grateful that God has allowed us to take this horrible tragedy and turn it into a miracle for others. And now we pause and say thank you to Trevin for the gift of life. That is episode 148, guys, of the Gifted Life podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor anytime. Registerme.org. And a special thanks to Jessica Fisher of The Prey Project. It was really a great segment, so educational. Really appreciate your time. Yep. Um, Guys, the best place to find us is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to any of our episodes at our website or on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you do listen on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating so that others can find us. And on social media, we know you're on social media. Like our page, guys. Facebook, we're at the Gifted Life Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Gifted Life Pod. Great podcast. Susanna, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you having me again. (laughs) (laughs) And we hope everyone is smiling out there. And thank you for all you do to help us make life happen. Now go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us do that, make life happen. We're one big team. Until next time. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>